Welcome to EIP Talks, a podcast focusing on patent news, trends, and insights. I'm Magnus Hallin, CEO at EIP. Today, I'm joined by Heather McCann, partner of EIP, and Julius Stobbs, founder of Stobbs. Earlier this year, EIP and Stobbs announced a new collaboration to provide clients with highly specialized services in patents and trademarks. The innovative agreement will see EIP, a European and US patent firm, focusing on high-value patent matters, and Stobbs, the UK-based intangible asset management company, focusing on trademarks, working together to offer clients the best advice in their respective fields. In today's episode, we will be discussing the future of IP and how the EIP-Stobbs collaboration will support the future of patents and trademarks. Let's start with you both telling our listeners a bit more about yourself and what type of IP work you do. Do you want to start off, Heather? Sure. Well, I'm delighted to be joining you and Julius at the EIP Talks. Aha. Excellent. So how did I get here? Well, I did a mechanical engineering degree. I was sponsored, actually, and I worked for British Aerospace. And as confident and as excited as I was to get into engineering, I think somebody recognised pretty early on that I probably wasn't cut out to be a fantastic engineer. And I was sponsored by British Aerospace. I had a mentor and the mentor I was assigned said to me, I think in my second year, uh, Heather, um, I'm an inventor on many patents. Um, I think one of the summer placements would be very good for you if you worked in the IP department. Well, I didn't know anything about it, of course, at the time. It was in Farnborough and I did have a pretty fantastic summer. That was the summer of 1991, which I think is 30 years ago. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but actually after that, um, I finished my degree and I went on to do a PhD because I want—I actually just wanted to do a bit of research before I uh, really decided whether academia or something else was my future. And um, at the end of my PhD, I did a postdoc in the US and I found that quite difficult and decided, well, you know what, I did quite enjoy that stint in the IP department, so let me give patents ago. So 1998, start of 98, I joined the patents department of British Aerospace as a trainee. Um, I then joined BT and um, joined EIP in 2002. So I started in-house, therefore four and a half years in-house before coming to private practice, which is somewhat unusual for patent attorneys. I think if you're going to do the swap from one to the other, it tends to be in the, in the opposite direction, start in private practice and then go in-house. And in my career, I have um, focused entirely on patents, even though I've had general training in the other disciplines, um, copyright, design, trademarks. Um, my, my practice is only in patents. And, and in fact, even within the field of patents, I have specialised right from the get-go in software-related patents, as part of my research, I did a lot of computer programming and um, so found that very interesting. And actually, I, when I was doing my PhD, it was around about the time that Netscape was launched and, you know, computers were not what they are today. And I was very fortunate to be programming in at a time when there was enormous innovation and enormous change. And it meant that I had a pretty good uh training in how these things talk to each other even though i did a mechanical engineering degree so that's kind of uh yeah so since 2002 i've been you know obviously at eip practicing in software related innovation from drafting uh and filing and prosecuting and oppositions and appeals and litigation to advising people as to why they would be thinking about filing these things called patents anyway and um you know, at the end of the day, I think that's that's the question, isn't it? Why do people file patents? And hopefully we'll get onto that a bit more in the course of this EIP talk. But Julius, please. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Heather. I, I don't I don't have uh, an interesting story about how I got into um, how I got into doing uh, trademark work. I did a law degree as my first degree and had no idea what I wanted to do. Both of my uh, both of my parents were academic scientists. Both enormously disappointed um, that uh, I was not, 
and well i i don't know that for, for certain actually but i always assume that they uh that they would be enormously disappointed but i mean not being either an astrophysicist or a material scientist and uh, i did a law degree and i didn't know what i wanted to do after university decided i would do a history of art degree but i thought i should get a job in order to uh, fund that and was introduced to some very nice people at a patent trademark attorney firm and uh, and i took a job there while i was doing my history of art degree and um and quite liked the juxtaposition of the legal and the creative that came with uh, came with trademark work always found it baffling that the aspects of brand in um in the world of of uh, law at least weren't joined together with the aspects of brands relating to the creative world uh continue to find it baffling now and have worked through quite a long career to try to uh make them join together a little bit more so um i now advise on really anything to do with brands but particularly um creating and clearing new brands protecting brands and brand assets anything to do with uh, with management of those rights anything to do with conflict relating to them or exploitation of them and um yeah trying to sort of keep a um a creative interest and a more logical legal interest uh um interested i guess and that's uh, how i've ended up where i am okay excellent thanks a lot uh i know you you know plenty of benefits of 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 patents and trademarks, both of you, but perhaps you can kick off, Julius, just to give us three benefits of, of trademarks. Sure. I mean, only three. I mean, obviously, they're amazing things. That's why I work with them. Um, probably the three, if I was going to pick there. First, it's really the only decent way to obtain protection in relation to a brand or a brand element. So, I mean, that's obviously a significant plus. Um, second, in the in the field of IP, it's the only intellectual property asset, a trademark that is unlimited in duration, um, which is an interesting one. You know, so actually, brand assets can live with an organisation forever or an individual, and uh, trademark registration can as well. And probably lastly, it's uh, not hindered by the difficult concept of novelty and disclosure. Um, which you know creates yeah. real, real problems for my uh, my friends in intellectual property in other disciplines like patents, uh, right, Heather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over to you, Heather. Yes. Well, I wish I could do such a give you such pithy um, and focused responses. I really, you know, as Julia said, there's many benefits. I, I thought thought I'd focus on the ones that I think aren't spoken about very often. Actually, the first one is. Um, I think patents give rise to an amazing repository of technical teachings. I mean, it's an it's a not often enough spoken about requirement of the patent system. You know, the bargain is you're given this monopoly in return. You've got to disclose how this thing works. And um, actually, I've got I'm very fortunate. I've got friends in many disciplines, academic uh, dis academic institutions, and they say that you know when they're giving their students projects to work on they say go search the patent database find out what people have done already and i think it's a tremendous repository um so that's the first thing i'd say somewhat unintuitively and, and perhaps it's a bit contentious i think patents push people to invent i mean most people say oh it stops innovation but you see i think this is the thing we we humans are kind of really good at getting grumpy <laughs> and if someone says well here's here's my patent like I'll see you and I'll W, you know, it's like, it's that sort of concept. So there's a, there's a roadblock and the existence of that roadblock forces you to work around it. So I think contrary to this dogma that we're fed, that patents hinder in innovation, I think actually they're a source for innovation. And my third one is I actually think they're quite a positive um, thing uh, for, for culture within an organization. See, I think, I mean, this, of course, can't apply to every company, but I'm going to be somewhat generic here. I feel that if if an organisation recognises innovation properly and 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 gives a platform to the to those who are innovating, 
it's 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 like a self-fulfilling prophecy of success for that company because if you make the people that are creating feel valued and recognized they will do more of that and it all feeds up the food chain so there's more for people to go and sell there's more for people to go and market there's more for people to manage so i think fostering a very healthy culture of innovation celebration and filing patents as a good benefit for the culture of a company yeah, all ip i think is uh fits into that uh creating a culture of creation and innovation in an organization is almost always a positive thing yeah it's hard though because you do have people who who just don't like it and they think it's a distraction i mean there's there's, there's negatives of course but you know it depends on which pair of spectacles you're wearing and i'm not you and i julius you know we're not we're not unaware of those but i think there is a a good case to be made i mean i don't know about you but my excitement is working typically with the sme um, you know, companies that are through Series B funding, for example, and they're looking to really get some personality to their company and they want us to come in and help them generate what does the pipeline look like for our innovation programme? How can we celebrate our master inventors? How can we get them excited? And, you know, I see great positivity from that. Yeah, thanks. That was some interesting angles uh, on, on that uh, questions. Um, moving on, uh, in the first episode of EIP Talks, Gary Moss, head of litigation at EIP, touched on the history of, of patents. And it's clear the industry has come a long way, adapting to change along the way. So what has been the biggest change development within IP, patents, trademarks, that you have seen throughout your, your, your quite long careers at this stage? Steady on, Magnus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, who wants to go first? Heather, do you want to deal with that one first? Sure. Um, so, I mean, this is quite a hard one to answer in a, a few mo in a few minutes, but I'm going to pick on computers because I have some familiarity with them. And when I started out in British Aerospace, I can remember that, um, I mean, this is back in the days of 486 computers. And uh, you had to have a dial-up dial -up modem to um, via, via your internet service provider in order to make use of one of the service providers that allowed you to search for patents. And at the time, we were using Questel. So you'd, you'd dial up which is basically a telephone call, right? And you hear this modem, right? Connection, boom. Very, 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 very simple interface. You type in name of applicant. You know, it's pretty, pretty um, basic interface. Then you'd wait for the results to arrive. And there was no way of actually doing anything other than print the results off. And... Also, my boss at the time refused to have a computer. So, you know, this was, this, was, this was just unbelievable to me. It's like, hang on, hang on. We're supposed to be patent attorneys dealing with cutting edge technology. And you, you, you don't. So I've seen big changes in terms of us as a profession and, and a whole industry embracing technology in order to do our jobs more efficiently. I mean, there's, it's embraced to a larger or greater extent, depending upon, I think, the firm and not just from the patent attorney um, private practice or, or company perspective, but also the IPOs. I mean, what they make available, what data can we get? What data can we see? I see massive, massive changes in that regard, whether it's USPTO, the EPO, the Japanese, the Korean office, they are all making available data that enables us to do our jobs and others who perhaps aren't actually IP practitioners to access data in a way that is has changed enormously in the course of my career so far. Yeah, thanks. What's your take on that, Julius? Interesting. I was hoping, can you, uh, can you do that impression of a modem again, uh, Heather? Because I really... <laughs> no. <laughs> it brings back it brings back memories, you know. Um, I, I take a slightly different, slightly different angle to the um, to the question. I, I think in the context of trademark work, one of the things that I really enjoy about it 
one of the things I find interesting about it is that it is constantly pinned to uh, how a consumer understands a purchase or a transaction and and uh, the way in which the consumer interacts with things in the world and services in the world constantly changes and so actually how trademarks and are uh, enforced and dealt with um, actually evolve all of the time because consumers evolve all of the time and it's one of the things that I quite like about it is actually it never really stands still where it's constantly the world of IP around trademarks is always just trying to hang on to the coattails of what a consumer understands in the world. Usually the law is a little bit behind. It's like tied to the consumer by a longish rope. And occasionally the rope tightens and it catches up. But most of the time it's a little bit behind. Um, we're in a, the thing that's changed the most during my uh, time dealing with trademark law is that it's become increasingly easy to make stuff and sell it online and it's become easier and easier to infringe people's rights which makes it harder and harder to deal with that as a as a brand owner um, and we're in a period where in my view the law as a as a pro ip person so thinking about the positive aspects of ip as heather was mentioning earlier about that as a pro ip person i feel we're in a period where the law is a little bit behind you know, where uh, the consumer is and where the market is in relation to the ease of uh, being able to circumvent and infringe and being able to produce and sell infringing products. I'm talking about obviously from a trademark brand point of view, not from a tech or, or patent point of view. But I think that's the things that, that's changed the most in the time that I, I've um, been involved in this world. Yeah, thanks. I think you already sort of touched upon that. I mean, we're already in, in a high, high, high pace of change now. And we, yeah, it's uh, very much driven by, by technology. And also, as you said, the IP systems are changing. The offices are, are, are upgrading and, and working in a different way. And also, I think you, you, you touched upon it before, Heather, also, and, and Julie's innovation is changing. It's, it's becoming more complex. And, and this, yeah, it's so rapid, more global, more interconnected and interdisciplinary. Yeah. And I think also value of IP is another thing noticed that I mean that's become more recognized and, and, and it's often the by far the highest value in the in the company. But what do we but going on from that, just changes you have seen in the past, what do you think the, the, the future holds for IP? What what do you think if you look five, ten years into the future, what changes do you think we will see uh, for IP? Do you want to start, Julius? In terms of our profession and dealing with uh, intellectual property, it feels to me, you mentioned technology. I, mean, I think, you know, technology is um, meaning technology in the legal profession relating to IP rather than technology at large and the protection of it is something which I think, again, the IP world uh, has probably been a little bit behind on, I would say, and is something that is absolutely inevitable um, in in the way in which we deal with intellectual property assets. Um, so to me, more and more technology making a lot of the more mundane tasks relating to protection of the intellectual property more accessible, quicker. Um, you would think that's definitely the direction of travel. Um, so making those more routine tasks easier. Um, so I think I think from an IP point of view, it actually makes uh, the difficult, interesting, the nuance more important. The actual substance, not just the fact that I've obtained a patent or obtained a trademark, but what it is, and the strength of it, and the scope of it, and about what what I can do with that. So answering the question Heather posed, you know, why why am I obtaining this protection? Well, actually thinking about that properly, scoping it out properly. And the, the nuance of what you're doing becomes more important. The more mundane, the routine, the admin aspects of it, which are things that our profession, you know, in patent and trademark attorney world has been an absolutely very important part of the profession for a long time. That was, you know, actually the focus for a long time, I think will get easier and easier, but it makes the, the, the substance, the subtlety more and more difficult. 
um, uh, more and more important, I should say. And Magnus, you mentioned the value. You know, I think we've got clients who understand that IP is important more and more. That's a benefit for us, you know, compared to 20 years ago. You know, CEO level corporate people recognize that IP is important. Well, that's good. That should mean there's elevation in an organization, should mean it, it's easier to justify um, moving forward with uh, important IP protection. Um, but we've got savvy customers who want to understand what they're getting and want to understand the value. They recognize there is value, but understanding the value of this patent versus that patent or this trademark versus that trademark will become, I think, more and more important. So being able to assess that and visualize that in a useful way for organizations feels to me to be something that will become uh, increasingly important. So, I mean, that's, that's probably, the, the general impact of increased availability of technology, making things easier, general awareness of intellectual property being important in organizations, increasingly crowded marketplaces, making innovation and these sorts of things more important and savvy consumers. And I think um, all of that leads to, I, mean, I would imagine, an increased focus on the importance of the actual substance and the real value of the right. Uh, thanks a lot. And what about the what about the law? Will it will it catch up, or will will it, will it always be behind? I well, I think um, from from my point of view in relation to in relation to the brand space, I think there are some aspects that need to catch up, and I think um, if left to their own devices, they will catch up. But I think there are policy issues around that. So I, that's the interesting thing about intellectual property. Um, Heather mentioned earlier, you know, well, there are negatives about patent. She mentioned a positive being about pushing innovation. Well, you hear that argued in both directions. Well, actually, this stifles trade. IP stifles trade. Freedom of uh, freedom of expression on a trademark side and brand side. Freedom of expression. Freedom of uh, you know whatever it is that we want to do. Open internet, you know, leads to uh, quite heavy lobbying around um, actually the, the need to be able to keep trade very free and very open. If you're pro-IP or pro-brand owner, then not only do you need the law to catch up a little bit, so in our world, um, especially with dealing with online issues, the huge volume of online issues, increasingly there are ways in which you can do admin takedowns that aren't any, uh, aren't any longer a court process and hugely expensive and they're quite quick but they don't stop the issue. And so at some point, if you're going to redress the balance, there need to be laws that disincentivize the behavior as well as enable you to tackle the behavior. And that we're not at that point. As a pro IP person, if the IP lobbies win, then law, the laws will need to change to provide that heavier disincentive to stop things. So I'm talking in very general terms, but for example, there's a law in the state called the ACPA, which uh, allows you to deal with online takedowns. And as soon as you launch, you can launch multiple actions against hundreds of parties at once, low cost. You can, um, as soon as the action is launched, PayPal accounts of the parties get frozen, punitive damages are issued, and they're automatically paid out of the frozen PayPal account. Well, that's the sort of thing that if you as an infringer are hit with that, you will think twice about doing it again because you've actually lost your way of making, uh, making a livelihood. Whereas if you've simply had a listing removed from Amazon or eBay, you'll just carry on doing it. If you've had you know, a few products, but most of them not seized at customs, you'll just carry on doing it. So very long-winded answer, I'm afraid, Magnus, I apologize for that. But the, um, but to me, yes, we're a bit behind. Um, I think uh, left to its own devices, IP law will catch up. The equivalent of what that, that US bit of legislation, which doesn't exist anywhere else, may well start, start flowing in. But only if the IP lobby side of things wins over the freedom, you know, sort of freedom of trade, freedom of expression type lobbyists. And that'll be an interesting argument to see play out over the, over the coming five or 10 years. Yeah. 
Thanks a lot. Heather, and what do you see in the the coming five to ten years from your from your side of things? Well, I'm just sort of digesting Julius's very thoughtful responses to your questions. And actually, you know, it just um, demonstrates to me why trademarks and patents are so different. You know, they're, they're, they're enormous fields in their own rights. And that, that which Julius is talking about, you know, is, is super interesting. And I think the issues that we face in the patents field, there certainly are instances where the law is behind the times. And I'll come on to that if we get on to the future of patents or the future of innovation. But I just might spend a couple of moments in answering this question about the next five to 10 years, taking a small diversion, talk about something I think is quite important, which is the life cycle of, of innovation. And, you know, what is that? How do you, what is the life cycle from innovation to products? I think it's probably a lot more involved than we're aware. So for example, think about, we've all got children. Well, sorry, we, we were all children. And I think all of us are of an age and were born in a country that one never questioned when the toilet was invented. I mean, there was just a toilet. And as far as we were concerned, there'd always been a toilet. If you talk to any children now, they think the smartphone's been around forever and you know nobody thinks about when it was invented. And actually, if you take the example of, of, of the bicycle, well, there's a bit of controversy around this, but you know some people think that da Vinci would put together the first sketch of a bicycle, or some people think it was a random monk in the 15th century. Anyway, whoever it was, some dude, you know, came up with a picture of something that looks like a bicycle. It took more than 300 years for someone to work out how to make that thing actually work, right? And, and that's because there weren't the materials. There wasn't the, you know, the, there wasn't the materials to make the bicycle. There weren't the tools to make the bicycle, but of course, there was this individual with this spark. I've got this idea. So what I'm trying to say is I think, this, I think that the life cycle of having an idea and that idea turning into something that people want to buy, right? And here's the crux of it. If people want to buy your thing, other people will copy it. <laughs> and, and people who are competing with you for that market will want to use their patents to stop you from from selling, because as far as they're concerned, you're nicking their customers, right? So the, the, the cycle of, of starting with an idea, figuring out how to make it work, and it being something that people actually want to buy, that's a complicated pipeline. And and the reality is that we all stand, all, all innovation stands on the shoulders of, of what happened before. You know, I mean, customers have to be ready for a product before they are going to buy it. and the smartphone is a good example because there are patents going back, you know, late 80s, actually, uh, when it was a brick. But the underlying function of what it could do was disclosed. Then you get to, you know, the phone that the, the sort of technology that's taken off the, the iPhone, if I can call it that, in 2007. There was a huge runway that people had created, both on the modem side and the user interface side, before Apple um, release their product okay so it's not a case of somebody comes up with an idea and suddenly that's it they get a patent and nobody else can use it in fact it's all it's all building blocks and 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 here's another thing i think is complicated it's one patent system for all technology it's 20 years no matter what the innovation is and that feels a bit weird to me because some things you can actually go from inspiration to product rather quickly for example software and some things you have to do a huge amount of testing involving laboratory equipment, it takes a huge amount of time, it's very expensive before you get anywhere near something that, that people want to use, buy or ingest. And I'm obviously speaking about things like pharma. So I, I wonder whether in the, in the future, maybe not five, ten years, but at some point there may be a difference in patent term depending upon the sector. I think it would not be a bad thing to introduce. But nevertheless, I think I think you know, what people end up patenting will continue to be what I think is crystal ball territory because you don't know what people need in the future. <laughs> you don't know what they want in the future. And if you're a company that's got many interests in many fields, you're playing a game of risk mitigation, which is, I think I'll file patents in all these areas just in case it becomes the next big thing and I need to negotiate with somebody else. So I, I don't, 
this is sort of a, a negative answer to your question, Magnus. I, I see that as a as a game, so to speak, not changing. The negotiation, the need to make sure that we are protected so that we can operate in the commercial world, I see that not changing. But I think the discussions and the debates around is 20 years right as a, as a, as a carte blanche for all technology, all patentable technology, the right answer, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see more debate around that. Do you think there'd be even more, I mean, differences? It could be more differences than, I mean, the pharma has some, I mean, there's an extension possibility there, but do you think it could be? Well, yeah. I think it's more probably more the other end. I mean, does it make sense for a software patent to last 20 years? I mean, some people would say yes for certain types of software patents, but not for all of them. And there you get the devil's in the detail. Mm. You know, mm. how complicated do you need to make the system for it to accommodate some of the corner cases and i i just feel it's a debate that that i'm interested in having around patent term and it's an interesting one because julia says you know trademarks you just need to pay a fee and it will renew indefinitely well we're in a world where it certainly doesn't that does not apply and um i'm just thinking maybe there is a, a discussion to be had around um being a bit more focused upon what what it, what the innovation is. I mean, I think at the time, all of these um, laws that we're currently working within were put into force. I, I mean, the role of computing in all of this just simply wasn't contemplated at all. So there is a big catch up even in terms of the role of computers. And we'll, we'll come on to that, I think, as, as, we, as we move on. But, but, but that all said, see, I, I think some things are going to stay because IP is such an important thing for all the reasons I've tried to explain and Julius has explained. And, and I, I, you know, if, if people aren't that um, familiar with IP, I think, I think it's about, think about it like having, playing a game of poker, right? You, you, in the real world, if you want to operate in a commercial world, you need to have something to trade to protect your business. And I think um, having patents and the importance of patents uh, will continue to to be something that um, you know companies need to need to focus upon. And I also agree with Julius that from us, from our perspective as practitioners, you know, from sort of being in the back room drafting these patents, have, it's being terribly administrative. It kind of being a bit of an academic thing. You know, the, even the term intellectual property is a bit off-putting. People don't, they're like, what on earth is that? You know, it sounds a bit intellectual. You know, anyway, you, you get the point. It's a bit difficult to have a, you're not going to go down the pub and go, let me tell you about my latest intellectual property thing, isn't it? I mean, people, you know, it's it's something that is, is quite, I think it's important to communicate better. And the if we can reduce the administration and the, um, the, the dogged paperwork that I think people that file patents get a bit, drowned by if we can reduce that and focus on why this underlying thing is so important to them commercially i think the engagement will be higher and i think that's our job and technology is letting us do that we're in a we're definitely in a position to do that aren't we because of the because of the yeah. technology strip strip away the admin strip away the the things that get in the way and focus on the actual substance the why and the what rather than the um rather than all of that and and there's a lot of debate. There's been a lot of debate about copyright term not so long ago. And as you say, I mean, the point is, my world on the brand side is very different. The why is very different than on the tech side. You know, if you're protecting a, there isn't a reason for someone to to be able to use someone's brand if you have it. So that, hence the logic. I mean, there, there would be no logic to stopping protection of it. Obviously, we have use issues around. You know, you should only be able to keep your rights indefinitely if there's a commercial reason for it fair enough but the point is the rationales are totally different aren't they on the on the technologies yes and what i think what you're saying is well 20 years i mean 20 years is kind of an arbitrary thing based probably around the understanding of a life cycle of innovation and um and that likely has changed significantly at least in some technology areas which which does make sense it makes sense to look at that again absolutely yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. So, uh, and Julius, if you see, so on, on the trademark side, we already touched upon it, but what, what do you see about the future of trademarks? I mean, will you see online shopping and the, and the enormous growth of that uh, in the world? How, how do you think that will affect trademarks going forward? 
Well, I mean, it, it's it's already um, you know impacting heavily on the practice relating to trademarks. So, um, you know, now strategies aren't only around uh, a business's commercial activity. You know, where do I sell? It's also it's also well, how do I deal with you know eleven hundred online marketplaces around the world? Um, what requirements are there? Because increasingly, we're dealing not just with legal systems. So what's the law in a particular jurisdiction? But for trademarks, we're dealing with, well, what are the practical requirements of a, of a marketplace? Because it may, you know, what, what's the difference between these marketplaces in Russia and these marketplaces in the Philippines or these in Turkey? Because it isn't actually a legal system you're dealing with. It's actually a commercial operator and requirements around that. So increasingly, you're seeing strategy around protection of trademarks being driven by what you need to be able to either operate on certain types of platforms or be able to stop others operating on those platforms. And they're not necessarily the same requirements as the formal legal requirements. So that that's all, it's already impacting mm, very yeah. heavily. I think, um, yeah. as I said, to me, the, the balance is uh, too far against the IP holder at the moment, the world, not mm. just, um, you, you know, the, the, these facilitators, these platforms, making it easier and easier to access customers everywhere, to be able to access product manufacture everywhere, um, just makes it uh, so difficult for the leader to combat um, that side of things. So for me, the law needs to move to a point where um, not just it's easier to stop, but it, like I mentioned earlier, that it actually disincentivizes. You know, actually, there has to be uh, there has to be some reason to do that, which wouldn't be that difficult to do, but it will take, as I said, an IP lobby to win over a freedom yeah. <laughs> freedom. Yeah. Yeah. What about the the relationship between trademarks and domain names? Do you think that that will change? What will what will will be most important in the future? I think um, I think it's unlikely that it will change. The domain name world uh, is. Um, already so dominated by business and um, and freedom of expression interests that it's mm. unlikely that uh, that the ip side of things um will kind of win over in that space we've got increasing in, uh, increasing availability of more and more domain names so we've got another round of new gtlds likely happening in either end of 2022 or early 2023 so we've already gone from from three to 400 domain spaces to about 1,800 through the last ICANN process. There'll be another uh, application process, possibly doubling the, the scale of domain spaces. So it, it's, um, and the, the, the rationale for more, more and more availability of domain names, uh, it's not what IP owners want, mm. I can tell you. <laughs> So, um, so, it, so that that isn't the drive for it, and it, and I don't think at, at any point there will be, um, you know, the IP lobby side of that will win out in that conversation. That world is too heavily dominated by um, the other side of that conversation. Having said that, um, you do feel like uh, outside of IP, the world is asking. And is talking about more and more regulation online. So if there is a more of a political drive for more regulation online, that's where the conversation might turn, if that makes sense. Mm. At the moment, the only the, all we can hope for is that um, is that more and more of those spaces are properly regulated by ICANN, and that at least the spaces have proper ways of complaining in an effective way. And th that does appear to be happening. So in, it, it, there are fewer uh, registries and spaces that are, uh, that are proper wild, wild west. And more and more of them are governed by ICANN regulation. Um, and um, so at least that is a, a move in the right direction. But, but having them tied, I, I think, is, uh, is not going to be likely um, without significant political shift. Okay, thanks. So Heather, going back to patents, I mean, you, you talked about the, the, the shorter shorter life cycle and, the, and possibly a discussion around the patent terms. Do you have any other future observations around innovation or inventions and patents? I need to um, invest in a crystal ball, Magnus. That's my 
<laughs> that's what I think. No, seriously though. So you need to uh, you need to invent a crystal ball. Uh, well, yeah. this, this is why I'm, this is why I went into patents. You see, I'm not a very good inventor, right? This is this is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so listen, this is a mixture of some things the same, some things change. You know, I think there's a song around that, or several songs, in fact. Um, so I, I expect innovation will continue, and this applies to patents and trademarks. That much is 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 true, I think. And I think that's because you know we're restless creatures. Um, but here's the thing. It seems that machines are doing their own inventing. And I mean, at a low level, that's not new. We've had robots around for a while and you could say, you know, they've been moving around doing things which are, which are unusual. And in that sense, some sort of innovation could exist, but, 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 you know, things are, we're in a different world now. Machine learning is a much bigger part of our lives just because we've got so much data and so much data can be operated upon and I think we we have to accept that machines are going to become more and more capable. So, you know, the question is, will the machines take over? And and you know, this is an interesting and hot hot potato at the moment in 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 my in my area of, of IP. Just last year, the EPO in the UK IPO, that's the European Patent Office and the UK Intellectual Property Office, had to consider whether a machine could be considered to be an inventor of patentable inventions and and both offices said no and and relied on the current law with regards to the criteria that determines whether the entity that creates an invention is an inventor that was a lot of legalese for which i apologize the, the bottom line is no a machine can't be an inventor because it's not a natural person and that's the requirement in our law at the moment so to your point julius for that to change there's got to be a change in policy and on that front, there is um, now a esteemed body of the um, referred to IP5, which is um, representatives from Korea, Japan, China, the EPO and the USPTO, who are embarking upon, um, or they've created a task force. It sounds like it could be the next Marvel movie, the IP5 task force, <laughs> uh, to consider, you know, to consider um, the role of, of machine machine learning in um, intellectual property in all senses. Now, you know, so there are people that are saying, ooh, 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 there might be a change in law to change this requirement of, of an inventor being a natural person. I, I rather suspect that's such a big policy point that, 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 that that's unlikely. I'm unlikely to see that in my practising lifetime. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all up there and I, I think it will become... Uh, pressing. I'm very interested that somebody's even had a pop at it so far, to be honest. So that's that's that. Um, look, I just want to talk about one more thing, if I if I may. And uh, I I am personally excited by the opportunities presented to us by the fact that people are now people who who um, are in decision making, influencing positions, are taking climate change seriously. And um, I believe this provides a fantastic opportunity for invention because necessity is another invention. Um, I think mostly the humans uh, are agreed that the humans want to remain on the planet. Uh, and to do this, I think, will require some innovation. And that innovation will require funding. And it is the funding that needs to be protected, uh, supported by protection from um, copying and and that is one of the reasons that the IP system exists. So I think actually the climate change, I'm excited that it's being addressed. I think it of course could, could should and could be, well, I shouldn't say should on a podcast like this, could be addressed more. But what is going to happen is that there will be innovation in areas just because policy is dictating us to move to different technologies and therein creates a whole ecosystem that it's been slow to get us over there, but there is a lot to be lot to be done, and I think that's quite an interesting interesting space for technology. Do we need to have some kind of incentive in the patent system to to speed that up even more? So, I mean, there are incentives. They've been around for a while. Um, I think that, I think that they they are around filing fees and um, speed of obtaining an issued patent. But remember the point about it taking a while for a market to mature. I mean, this is a complicated question. Um, and I, I think that oh, I, I can't, I, I don't feel like I have an answer to that, Magnus, to be honest, not a credible answer anyway. Mm. I, I just think I, I see that as an area where people will be innovating 
that's a good area to be innovating, I think. And, mm. um, you know, the, the, the other policy, this, is, this stuff is always multi-layered. I, I think I probably don't have any good answers for the, for the speed it up, mm. speed it up point. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, so yeah, and we we have uh, created this uh, this um, partnership EIP and Stops, which we we are excited about. And uh, so so how are we how are we preparing for the future in in in, in EIP and Stops and in this this collaboration? Julius, do you want to give a few comments? Sure, I, I was going to comment on why I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think that's. Um... You know, that's and I've already touched on it a little bit in in some of my answers, which is, I mean, I think the future, the future of our profession and definitely our profession rather than the future of IP is in uh, the interesting value detail, the substance. And um, as you know, embracing technology, uh, providing more access for everyone, allowing the easier tasks to be done in a more cost-effective, time-effective way means that that difficult substance is, um, is you know, where the future of our profession is. And this partnership is all about that um, for me. It's about, um, about recognising that increased specialisation allows increased excellence in relation to specific areas. We've been having a conversation today and a lot of the topics that I would cover around brands and trademarks are really totally different than the topics that you would cover around patent. That's what probably comes out of the last 40 minutes of conversation is only at a very high level. Is there any alignment at all? Actually, one of the reasons why I set up a firm that specialized in brands, honestly, is that, um, is that in the context of in the context of IP, brand work is very different from patent work. And for it to flourish properly, it needs to be dealt with separately. But of course, um, to allow it the ability, you know, allow people the ability to, to be able to generate significant specialism and expertise in a very different way for the work to be supported in a different way than patent work is. But of course, the collaboration between then incredible experts on the patent side like heather and your team at eip and what we consider to be incredible experts on uh, brand work at our end means that the collaboration between us allows our clients access to frankly a better and higher level of expertise and service in relation to the combination than they ever could and um, so for me that's the excitement of the collaboration the future is being able to work closely and seamlessly with the team at EIP to be able to provide that for our clients and vice versa. And in a world where that nuance and that difficult stuff and that substance and a focus on real value in the why and the what rather than the fact of something existing, um, I think the collaboration puts us in an, in an incredible position. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, thanks. Heather, anything you would like to add? Well, I think Julius has summed it up um, beautifully. I mean, uh, and I, I was talk, talking at the beginning about, you know, I think one of the things that happens when you start learning is that you realise that you know very little. You know, my specialism in patents is only in software. And actually, when it comes to software, I only know a very small, I, you know, I specialise in a small area, really, of, of, of software. Um, and I, I need to be able to direct my clients to people who know about trademarks and really, really understand it from top to bottom. And I just feel that the approach that Julius and his team have to trademarks is is commercial and it's, as, as he says, you know, stripping away the administration, allowing us to really focus on what, what do you need, what, what do you need in your commercial armour? You know, what, what's important to you commercially? Why are we even considering this? That's, that's done, um, so professionally and positively, although there are massive differences as, as, as has become apparent during this podcast, it's the approach that I think we share in common. That approach is, is, is the same and it is something that I feel really excited about being able to say to my clients, look, 
listen, we don't do trademarks, but let me introduce you to Julius's team. They'll take care of you. That is, for me, a fantastic thing to be able to say. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, we are getting uh, towards the end of this this podcast. But uh, is there, yeah, anything you would like to add add at the end? How how our listeners uh, can prepare for the for the future of IP? Stay in touch with us. Stay in touch with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And follow the follow the IP bikers. It's going to be a thing, Julius. The IP bikers are going to be, gonna be uh, forging the way into the future. Along with the IP talks, yeah. I, on um, on my side, if I was giving any advice, advice to anyone who is looking at the trademark side, it would be, I um, it's again, we've already touched on it, but um, you can't be good at trademark uh, work and brand work without understanding uh, who the consumer is and what drives them. In fact, it's quite difficult to be good at it without being that consumer as much as anything else. And so you've really got to embrace understanding how the world is changing in that respect. My daughter is a very different consumer than I was, and that is a a very important thing to embrace. You can't can't really deal with it otherwise. And then as a practitioner, you've got to to be aware of what technology is out there, I think. you don't have to be creating it, but you've got to be uh, um, looking for it and understanding it if we're going to be in a good position to move forward. So I think they're the things, on my side, they're the things I'd probably say, and listen to EIP talks and follow the, the IP bikers. Of course. <laughs> of course. Okay. Thanks very much, Heather and, and Julius, for, for joining EIP talks and, and sharing your valuable insights. Uh, EIP Talks will be back with another episode soon. Uh, To make sure you don't miss an edition, you can subscribe to EIP Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And for more patent updates, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching EIP. And for trademark updates, by searching Stops, of course. Thank you for listening.